there is no telling what God will begin to do when, as a congregation, we move into that area of prayer that is based on a loving relationship. That's why the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Today our scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 9. Matthew chapter 6. Over the last few Sundays, we have been spending our Sunday mornings in the book of Revelation, and today we begin a new series of studies on the Lord's Prayer. And I'm trusting and praying it will be a little easier to understand than our study on Revelation. So, thank you for persevering during January and February as we worked our way through Revelation, and today we come to a very familiar passage, a passage that has been used in prayer down through the centuries. And so, we turn to Matthew chapter 6 at verse 9, page 1504 of the Church Bible. Jesus is speaking, and He says these words, this, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen, and we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. I want to begin this morning with a reasonably serious question. If you could sit down with an individual and ask them anything you wanted, who would that individual be and what would you ask them? Now, it may be that you've always wanted to sit down with a sports personality, a professional tennis player, because your backhand is not what it might be, and you've thought, maybe they could help. I've watched them on television down through the years. They are just spectacular, one of my heroes when it comes to sports. Perhaps a professional golfer, or someone who's played in the final of the Super Bowl. Or maybe for you, it might be an author someone whose gift of prose and writing style you've really enjoyed. They've written a book that you simply can't put down and would long to sit down with them just for an hour and get to know them a little. Understand their style of writing, why are they writing, why it is so humorous and so poignant at other moments. Who would you want to sit down with? Maybe you'd want to sit down with a national leader, Maybe you're just bursting to say, Richard, I would love to sit down with George Washington and ask him, what was it like all those years ago? Who came up with the idea of how to birth a nation, establish democracy for the people, by the people? What kind of a conversation would that be? Or maybe for you it might be a soloist or a musician 
You can't wait to sit down and have a deep, reflective conversation with Lady Gaga. That might be your deepest desire. Who would you like to sit down with, and what would you say? Now, what if you could sit down with Christ Himself? Just sit down, comfortable chair, cup of coffee, and talk intimately, going into areas of your life you've never shared with another, beginning to open up in areas you struggle, look back on moments when you were wonderfully, spectacularly blessed, when God answered your prayers in ways that you just can't imagine, and you just want to say thanks. Thank you. You will never know what it means to me for you to do that for me. Is that the kind of conversation you would have? Now, when you come to Matthew chapter 6, you have recorded the Lord's Prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and following, you have another recorded incident of the Lord's Prayer. And in Luke chapter 11, a little different from Matthew chapter 6, a disciple says to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. Is that what you would ask? Teach me how to pray? I think I would be tempted to say, Lord, teach me how to change water into wine. I really would love to do that. And when I go to Sunday school parties and so on, I just put my finger in the bowl of water and the whole thing would change. That would be a conversation starter right there. Or you might get a little more serious and say, Lord, let me be able to heal someone who was born blind. Teach me how to cure someone who hasn't heard their husband or wife say, I love you because they were born deaf. Or, Lord, teach me how to raise someone from the dead when a child dies. You can't imagine the pain and the grief that causes parents. Lord, it would be so good if I could just reach out my hand, bring them back to life. Or a husband or wife who's passed away, a brother or sister, teach me how to do that. But they never ask that. They ask, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, why of all the things teach us how to pray? Couldn't they turn to the Psalms and see the prayers of David and Moses and countless others? Couldn't they go back to the Old Testament and see endless prayers laid out to get a model for prayer and learn from there? Teach us how to pray. Well, I suspect they said, Lord, teach us how to pray for this reason. They saw in his life something they did not have and they made the connection between character and prayer. 
They made the connection between integrity and righteousness and holiness and prayer. They watched him speak, and hundreds and thousands were coming to hear what he had to say, because what he had to say was credible and authentic. And he talked of a loving, gracious, heavenly Father. They knew that after the feeding of the 5,000, he went off with the disciples to a quiet place to pray. They knew that the night before he chose the twelve, he spent the night in prayer. They knew that ever, if ever anyone modeled a reality of prayer, they saw it modeled in him, and they knew the poverty of their own prayer life. Teach us how to pray. Now, in this passage in Matthew's Gospel, you've still got your Bible open, go back to chapter 6, verse 5. And that's where the passage really begins. And if you worship with us regularly on a Sunday morning, you will know that often whenever we come to study a passage of Scripture, the context of the passage tells us so much. And he begins this section in prayer at verse 5. And Jesus says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by men. But I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, isn't that strange that when they say, teach us how to pray, what He does, in fact, He begins by teaching them how not to pray. Any teachers among us this morning who teach math? Is that how you begin, by teaching your students how not to do math? Most of us don't start, this is how not to do it. We start, this is how to do it, and you model it for them. But what Jesus is saying here is this, that prayer is so important. I want you to look at other models of prayer and then I want to look at the perfect example. And he begins by saying, endless repetition of words. Prayer by rote, shallow in content, lacks authenticity and credibility, and it simply is not real. Don't pray to make a show Pray when it is heartfelt. Pray when it is passionate. Pray when you want to engage the living God, and you mean it. But prayer by rote, endless repetition, is just not going to do it. He uses the word there, hypocrites, who babble. That word hypocrites, you would be familiar with it in the first century if you ever went to the theater or watched a performance. Actors and performers were known as hypocrites. Known as hypocrites, not in a demeaning manner, 
But the word means pretending to be something or someone you're not. That was the role of an actor. When we go to the theater, we watch good acting. When we watch a movie and there's good acting, you believe that person is doing it for real. But it's only pretense. Jesus is making the point, going through a formula in prayer, endless repetition, lacking content, no genuine engagement of the heart, will, will not do it, will not do it. In fact, he begins, our Father. And that tells us so much right there. It tells us this first thing, and if you're taking notes this morning, please get it down. Prayer is predicated on a relationship. That's where it begins. Prayer is predicated on a relationship. Our Father. When a wee one is adopted into a family, that wee one is nine or ten months old, that wee girl has no idea what has just taken place. No idea. She can't appreciate it. She can't articulate her thanks. But the day will come when she realizes this, that she is adopted and when she misbehaved, she wasn't put on a box with packaging tape and said, return to sender. But she was loved, and loved again, and loved again, and prayed for, and welcomed, and accepted, and she was loved. A relationship of transforming, awesome love. That's the basis of our prayer life not a contractual agreement, not based on performance or goods and services rendered, but because we are loved. Towards the end of the New Testament, there are three epistles called 1, 2, and 3 John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1 John chapter 3, John, in thinking about and having written with incredible clarity of the love of God, says this, see what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, for that is what we are. That is what we are. Now, let me say it again because it's important to grasp it, and see what great love God has lavished upon us. Now, if you go back to the original language, the context of that phrase, great, or that word phrase, can also mean this, utterly astonished, surprised, incredulous, overwhelmed, cannot believe it. This is just too much for words. That's the sense of what's going on. And that is why when you find yourself in a point of deep, abiding, heartfelt 
intimacy with God, and He's moved your heart and mind and soul, you find yourself shaking your head in wonder and adoration and saying, He loves me. He loves me, not based on performance, because His love is infinite and immeasurable and unchanging and glorious and incredulous and utterly astonishing. That's what prayer is. That's what happens when we go deep. We shake our head in awe and wonder at the beauty and majesty of His love. That's why Jesus begins, our Father, Father, who delights when we jump up into His lap and He holds us close, and we talk to Him, and we share with Him how our day has been and the challenges we are facing, and we thank Him for answered prayer and forgiven sin and intimacy with Him. That's what's going on here, our Father. And that's why it begins that way, not in performance, but because He loves us. See what great love has been lavished. Lavished. It's not that God looks down and says, well, I suppose they've been nice today. Okay, here's a little, if I must. And well, maybe tomorrow, if you're good again, a little more. It's not on the basis of performance. It's not you do your bit, He does His, but He has you in the palm of His hand, and He loves you because He loves you because He loves you. That's why we begin with adoration and praise and prayer and worship. And the adoration comes before, give us this day our daily bread. Adoration comes before intercession. It comes before, forgive those who have trespassed against us. It comes before all of that, because it begins and ends in prayerful adoration and worship of Him. Our Father. Extraordinary. There are moments in my life when I simply have to shake my head, and my prayer is this, Father, please, please never, ever, ever allow me to get over the wonder of your love. Never let me take it for granted. Never let me treat it casually. Never let me say, well, it's just that's who He is, but help me to respond heart and mind and soul. And when you respond heart and mind and soul, the next part of the passage is, the most natural thing in the world. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. If you're reading the New International Version this morning, it's a translation of the Bible that is the most popular translation in the world today, and it has been for the last 25 years or so. And it really is an outstanding translation. We use it here at First Press. That's what you've got in the pew. And it is written in a style that is warm, accessible, contemporary, and it's been written for reading in public 
and for private study as well, quite intentionally. The interpreters, the translation committee is the very best of the best in biblical scholarship. Now, that doesn't make the NIV perfect. There isn't a perfect translation. But it's as close to being the best that's available. And when they translate the word hallowed, they could not find a contemporary word for it. And so they stayed with the old English word, and it means sacred, holy, priority in life. That's the sense of what's being used here. And when he says, hallowed be thy name, it is an expression of adoration and worship and praise. When the person praying begins, our Father, and we shake our head in wonder and awe, we naturally say, hallowed be thy name, holy, sacred, entirely different from anything I'm familiar with. That's what's going on here. Now, that causes us problems. It's not a major problem, but it does cause us problems. Because we live in a day and age when we are surrounded by the digital convenience of smartphones and tablets and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and so many others, telephone calls and texting. And the culture and society we live in and find ourselves immersed in teaches us this, that if you are not connected digitally, you have limited worth and value. Now, they don't articulate it that way, but that's what's happening. Do you know what it feels like to have your phone in your pocket and it's on vibrate, and it vibrates, and you think, wow, someone wants to speak to me. Isn't that amazing? Someone wants something. And a little drop of dopamine is then released from the brain. <laughs> and you feel, wow, that's kind of nice. I like that. And oh, there it's gone. Excuse me. Hold, hold. You're not as important. Let me just pay attention here. Hold on. Excuse me. And so it goes on and on and on and on. And value and worth are determined by how connected we are electronically. That's what society and culture teaches us. I'd hate for you to see how many hours I spend every day answering emails and texts and being online. And we have to fight to get away and to turn it off and get valuable time with God alone. Remember we began by asking the question, why did they ask, teach us how to pray? Because what they saw modeled was this, that when Jesus ran the risk of exhausting his energies and losing his perspective, he reconnected with his Father. Now, let me say that again. I don't want you to miss it. When Jesus was running the risk of exhausting his energies and losing his perspective, 
captive. He needed to reconnect with his heavenly Father. And they sought, modeled, and said, teach us how to do that. Because they realized that when he reconnected, he reassessed, and he refocused, and he realigned his priorities with the priorities that God had called him to. Let me say it again. Reassess, refocus, realign. If you're putting notes in the corner of your Bible or taking notes this morning, reassess his relationship with his Father, refocus his heart and mind and the love of God, and finally, realigned his priorities with God's priorities. That's when he uncluttered the soul. That's when he got his priorities in place. That's where it became credible, authentic, really living out faith day by day by day in the midst of distraction and temptation and demands. That's where it matters. There is no telling what God will begin to do when, as a congregation, we move into that area of prayer that is based on a loving relationship. That's why the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this incredible passage of Scripture this morning. Enable us, please, as we leave this place, encourage us, strengthen us, take us into a new week. Enable us, please, to reconnect with You, to unclutter the soul, and to feel and sense again Your enabling grace upon our lives. Father, thank You for the Lord's Prayer. And may this week be a week where we begin with our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Join us for a free meal and a discussion led by financial expert Bruce Owens. Bruce has been speaking for over 20 years on the subject of biblical stewardship and estate planning. This seminar will address how to put biblical stewardship at the center of your financial planning, how recent tax law changes may affect your estate plans, affirming that your financial plans are relevant in these challenging economic times, and leveraging your tax dollars into gifts for church and ministries. More information at First presgreenville.org.